Welcome to Lost in Twin Peaks. Today's episode covers Season 3, Part 9, In the Town, Back in the Town of Twin Peaks. What's going on uh, with all of our townspeople? In the Ben and Beverly storyline, there that hum is going again in the Great Northern, that strange sort of, he, I think Ben describes it as the ringing of a monastery bell. And they seem a little more tired, a little more weary this time, like more like it's at the end of a long, exhausting day. And uh, she's in short sleeves, like she took off her longer shirt, and they're just uh, walking around. But but they're still enjoying themselves, and then they kind of collide for a moment, and she's holding him, and Ben gently turns her down and says, you know, he can't do this. And she tells him he's a good man, so they're not going to have an affair, it looks like. The odd thing about this scene is, due to, you know, you have to take my word for it, but there's a complicated uh, reasons why this just cannot take place uh, at the moment it seems to. This scene, and I, I don't mean within the scene, I mean within the scenes that are around it. So with all of that in mind, why is it here? If they scripted it and shot it, you know, with the costuming and everything, thinking that it would take place at another point. Why did Lynch move it back here? And I don't know. I've, I remember hearing some interesting speculation on it, but I, I can't remember anymore what it was. There was a whole Twitter thread about it. I'll see if I can find it and link it in the show notes, but that's going to be after the recording's all done. So maybe I'll follow up on that later when we talk about some other Ben, ben and Beverly scenes. But essentially, this is kind of the conclusion to their little story. Sticking with the horns, we take a moment with Jerry. One scene where he's lost in the woods, as we saw in part seven, and he's staring at a shoe. And then there's a hilarious little voice with a subtitle that says, I am not your foot. And he freaks out. He's reaching toward the foot. He can't move it. And finally, grabs it, falls down, and there's a sharp cut to black. Unlike any other cut, I think, in the series. It's just like a comedic punctuation Lynch throws in. I love this moment. This was probably my favorite moment in this episode. And funnily enough, I almost didn't mention it. It, It's so brief that when I was making the the timeline the story sections, I almost forgot about it. So that would have been a shame. I, I love this moment. The Cooper investigation has a big episode this week. And this is where it goes kind of outside of the office where it's mostly been contained so far. The sheriff's station, I mean. Uh, I think, I'm trying to think if there's really been any investigations conducted outside of that, other than maybe Hawk just wandering into the woods after talking to the log lady. But I think it's all been within those confines. They go on a little bit of a mild day trip to see uh, Betty Briggs. And they want to ask her some questions about Major Briggs, who obviously was involved with Cooper's disappearance and supposedly died himself soon after in a fire. And she tells them, to to the surprise of Bobby and Frank Truman and Hawk, who are the deputies visiting, that she knew they were going to come because Major Briggs told her about this uh, 25 years ago, just before he died. And of course, she says, I didn't know it would be this Sheriff Truman. I thought it would be Harry, but I knew you all would be coming He says, you know, she tells them that he foresaw all of this and he knew that Bobby would be one of them so that he would be a deputy. And of course, Bobby's very moved by this and, uh, you know, proud that his father would be proud of him. And Betty shows them a chair that uh, something had been hidden in for a quarter century now. She opens it up and there's a little metal cylinder inside. She says, Major Briggs hid this in the chair and told her to tell them when they would come many years later. He saw it all and she gives them the cylinder and... And then, you know, they they laugh and they go get coffee after this very emotional moment. But then back at the station, Bobby's watching uh, the sheriff and Hawk try to figure out how to open it. And he's just chuckling to himself because he actually knows how it works. It's some sort of old trick that he and his father had worked out or something. So it goes outside. He throws the cylinder at the ground, 
it starts ringing and then he throws it again and it breaks open there's a little paper inside like cigarette rolling papers that have some messages delivered on them with dates and times and a place jack rabbit's palace that they're going to go to and bobby says that's a place that him and his dad would go to when he was a kid and he's actually the one who came up with that name the whole sheriff's crew makes a plan to go in two days which kind of tells us when this takes place with other factors i don't actually have that much to say about all of this material i enjoyed watching it it's nice kind of you know as close as the return comes to fan service but i also just really like the atmosphere it's nice to see them kind of get out of the station stretch a little but sort of stay within this comfortable zone where they're going to bobby's mom's house and they're just literally standing out in the parking lot throwing things at the ground and looking at it in the sunlight and it's just this very nice, warm, pleasant feel to it. I just went on an excursion the other day to the woods and the lake, and uh, it just kind of reminded me of that. Like, just not too hot, not too cold, sun's out, very nice. You just have, a, like, sort of a nice a nice day out in this environment. And so that that's kind of fun to see. And I love the fact that Lynch cultivates that in the show from time to time. You know, there's intense moments. There's also just a lot of really relaxed moments where we feel like we're soaking in the town and he's just happy to be there again. Um, not even so much the town it's just like the kind of an environment around it it's not a storyline so much as a recurring motif as the roadhouse we see chloe and ella these two uh one-off characters chatting about uh, ella losing her job flipping burgers but finding a new job flipping burgers and getting high and something about a zebra and a penguin whatever that means and ella who's played by sky fiera the or ferrera the uh, british uh, singer she has like a really bad armpit rash and she's just itching it and itching it throughout the scene. Very kind of off-putting Lynchian thing to do. And there's two songs played during this. There's a DJ, Hudson Mohawk, playing a song. And then there's the band Au Revoir Simone that we saw before. This feels like the first truly standalone Roadhouse Gang sequence. You know, where we have two characters just doing their thing and then they're done. And it's like, where does this fit in with everything? And mentioning cryptic names or cryptic references, like in this case, the animals... I kind of tend to think of this Roadhouse Gang motif actually starting earlier with Richard and the group of teenage girls just because they make a distinct impression. But the fact that he's in that scene and Chad's in that scene kind of ties it more closely to Twin Peaks' other stories, whereas this is just so isolated, as will be the many that continue in the next few scenes. It's interesting Lynch waited till basically the second half of the series to introduce this recurring idea. It's not something he really shows before then, other than, you know, the gang of girls who tie into the Richard story, as I said. Beverly's marriage, she kind of gets her own little glimpse of a storyline. The only way that ties into this is when Ben says, I can't do this, we're not sure, maybe it's because she's married, uh, but it could be something about him or, or a combination of those. With other characters' storylines in Twin Peaks, we see Johnny Horn running into a wall and Sylvia finds him bleeding on the ground. And it gives us a glimpse back at this character we haven't seen since season two, played by now a third actor. Three different actors have played this role. There was a whole issue with the scheduling. So by the time they could do it, the actor who played Johnny for most of season one and season two uh, couldn't do it. So they had to put in, I think, a stunt a stunt man played the part or something like that. And uh, the only other actor who played Johnny was in the pilot. They had a different actor. So that's three. When I watched this scene at the time, I had no clue what was going on. Like, I don't, I, I can't remember if I heard her say Johnny or if it just didn't register, but it didn't even occur to me that this was Johnny Horn. Never occurred to me. Uh, maybe because he didn't have the Indian headdress on or something. And he runs by so fast. I thought this was the warden. And Chantel and Hutch had arrived at his house and were, you know, chasing him down. 
and killing him. But it just was very strangely staged to be that. So I'm like, well, maybe this isn't that, but what the heck is it? What's going on? It's so random. Another thing I thought was it was uh, Beverly's husband running away from his nurse and like killing himself or something. That was the other thought that occurred to me, but it just, it's something didn't add up. So I can't remember if I saw their names in the credits or I think someone just said it on a message board and I was like, oh, that's what happened. So this, this was a very strange scene to watch then. Also, Johnny runs into a picture of the waterfall, the very waterfall in front of the Great Northern, which is probably just a cool prop. But somebody, I think maybe Brian on the Twin Peaks Unwrapped podcast, had like a theory about it, I think. And I wish I remembered what it was because I don't. If anybody remembers or has a theory, write it in that there was some significance in him running into the waterfall like that was some signal of the spiritual energy being released around Twin Peaks or something I can't quite remember the standalone stuff this episode is mostly to do with the sheriff's station basically there's one standalone scene which is Lucy and Andy arguing about whether they should get a beige or a red chair and then Andy concedes says you know what you know what punky get the get the beige chair and she smiles and she gets the red chair so it's like you know showing their generosity and affection and also sort of a cute little spat between them we also get a moment where lucy is telling the sheriff she can't help him she's putting up they're not even trying to get her to help with anything but she's insistent she's on her lunch she puts her hand out in front of her is like nope can't do anything i'm on my lunch break and they also kick chad out of the conference room which doesn't you know that's I guess part of the uh, Cooper investigation plot, but not really. It's just sort of a fun standalone comedic moment that Lynch likes to do. He also likes to do these comedic bits as scenes unto themselves sometimes, not just as adding them in as like a spice to another scene, but creating these whole little moments. Like that's the Lucy and Andy chair scene is very much like that. And it's a missing pieces style, I think. It's like those scenes you see with like Jack Nance and... um Joan Chen going to the, you know, at the lumber yard with the guy from the bank arguing with him about the size of, you know, lumber and stuff and other little scenes like that. Lynch just shot because he liked them in isolation and figured out a spot for them to go uh, later on. Interestingly enough, though, you know, the, he has to figure out what costumes he wants the characters to wear. And Lucy is wearing a different uh, outfit in this scene than she is in the scene where she's eating lunch and has her hand up. So this was something that at least when they were shooting, they thought would go on a different day. And he put it here maybe because he wanted it close to the This is the Chair scene with Betty Briggs. And, of course, that's the episode title as well. Showtime gave these all episode titles based on quotes from each episode. And I wonder if he kind of knew that was going to happen at this point. He thought it would be fun to put in this scene and have viewers wonder, wait, is this what the title is referring to? This is the Chair? Which many people did. Or if it wasn't that straightforward. But... It's fun to think about that, that he has this bizarre little one-off scene with a chair, and then there's a much more important scene with a chair later in the episode. A couple storylines disappeared from Twin Peaks, meaning they haven't been heard from in four episodes. That would be Jacobia's Dr. Amp, and also the Becky-Steven relationship. Both featured memorably in Part 5, and uh, that was it for the moment. That's it for this episode. Please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. You can also support this work on patreon.com slash lostinthemovies. Tomorrow's episode is going to look at the mythology. Uh, even though we don't spend any visual time in the spirit world, so to speak, a huge contrast with last uh, episode, uh, we do still have a lot of kind of mythological elements to pick apart here. So we're going to talk about some of that there. 